So this, this set of canvas-covered wagons steadily rolling along, pulled by a couple sets of oxen, in which we see their heads start to shake as the rain begins to pour down upon them. The pelting of the rain can also be heard echoing inside these wagons. And our view shifts to the front, where we see a large man with a heavy coat and wide brim hat flick the reins, trying to encourage the oxen to move just a little bit faster. And then we shift once again towards the back as we go into what looks like a almost like Conestoga, if you can picture that. And inside this wagon, we see that it's laden full of barrels and crates. And amongst them, we see a figure lies curled up underneath a heavy gray woolen blanket. Large fellow driving this, uh, this carriage turns around and looks down towards the prone figure and says, I'm, so, I'm sorry to disturb you, miss, but we're going to have to stop due to weather. The, the oxen I can hardly see a thing. Uh, luckily, before the rain started, I noticed we're near a cave I've used to, uh, to uh, use before to avoid the eyes of bandits. Uh, we could stop there for the night. The figure stirs and pulls back the blankets to reveal... Sam, tell us what your character looks like. Yes. Um, <clears throat> my character is a um, relatively tall for a uh, female. Um, she has long, dark hair pulled back in a braid pretty much constantly. Um, she wears more casual, um, kind of baggy clothing. Um, and she has a scar, uh, across her face that's fairly faded, um, and decently tanned skin, um, and it's for the most part, rare to smile. Hmm. Our view shifts once more, and we see the wagons have begun to pull up to a small hillside. And we do, in fact, see a small cave opening tucked behind jumble boulders. We see these figures start to exit the wagons as they pull up alongside these boulders, and some of them bringing armfuls of supplies while others unhook the ox and begin leading them into this cave. Eventually, a little while later, we see a warm, crackling fire with four figures gathered around it. Large men, our friend and two women sitting closely huddled together. We see the hours begin to pass with a stew being made and handed out, laughing and telling of stories amongst them until the night grows long and they retire around the fire with blankets and loved ones held close. Some hours later, Lara is awakened from her dreams when a scream rings out. She bolts upright to see dark figures rushing about the cave. The fire has been doused, and she makes out that two the two women scrambling and beating back what looks like a pair of assailants. Lara stands up and launches herself forward, only to hear a sickening crunch, followed by her vision going dark. Next, we see a heavy evergreen forest. And as our view kind of shifts down amongst the trees, we see a small pond nestled amongst them. 
We see robins and blue jays fluttering about the treetops and finding their nests, some fighting each other, squabbling for what nuts and worms and other bits of food that they can find. A few deer grazing in the shade, minding their own business, and they're brought to attention when a small bit of rustling is heard amongst the pine needles that have fallen to the ground. As they look up, they see very quickly what has made such noise. They see a lone figure approaching the pond. What does this figure look like, Andrew? They are uh, wearing so like battered, but but not out of keep leather armor, sturdy hiking boots. Uh, they have deep red, almost burgundy skin, and long thin ears, and a curly mop of black hair. Uh, as indigo honeydew creeps forward, they have a pen and large leather book out as they sketch the scene before them and make notes of all the various creatures that they have happened upon. Mm. We see Indigo, as he eyes this pond, grow more excited, and he rushes forward, his, his pen and notebook before him, and amongst the pages we can see the various different plant life and animals, and he, he flips through a couple pages and we see that this one, this section pertains particularly to what looks like aquatic plant life, amphibians, and a variety of fish. And as the day passes, we see his comings and goings in almost a quick time lapse. He moves about the pond, writing and drawing everything he can see in sight. We see him wade into the pond, pulling his pant legs, legs up above his knees. And then it skips to another moment where we see him eyeing a large bullfrog that he holds in front of him, inspecting every little bit of it, pulling at its legs just to, just to see the articulation of moment of movement so he can more accurately uh, draw it. And then it skips once again, and we see him holding a large stone cross-legged at the bottom of this pond. We see him looking back and forth as the fish swim before his eyes, some nipping at the, the dead skin along his arms, while others kind of look into his hair, kind of swimming among them. And then some time later, we see him pull himself out of the pond and begin to put a fire together. He sheds what bits of clothing he has, draping himself into a large cloak while he sets the rest out to dry. He pulls some dried bits of food from his pack and begins to gnaw on them as the night slowly comes over. He flips through the pages of his drawings. And as the night falls... There's a shift in the air. The forest starts to grow unnaturally quiet. Indigo being very acute and keen on his surroundings and the natural order of things notices this and goes to douse the fire, aware that some kind of danger could be lurking nearby. When we see a large, shadowy humanoid form rise up behind him and a large club comes crashing down on him, and he falls into darkness. Our next scene opens up, and I imagine it's kind of an aerial view shot to show a small town shrouded in, in night. 
Lamp posts and torches alight along the cobbled streets. We see a pair of men stumbling down the street, their voices crooning out into the crisp night air. Drinks in hand, they turn a corner and run into another figure. Oh, um, um, I'm so sorry, sir. <coughs> I, I, I didn't mean to disturb you. What does this figure look like, Brendan? Uh, Safel is a short, crooked old man. Uh, he would have been a nice 5'8", five, 5'9", five, were it not for his deteriorated, hunched form. He is a man in his 50s, appearing nearing his 60s, and age has not been kind to him. His skin is fraught with uh, age spots and... Crow's feet on his eyes and veins popping out in places. Uh, he looks probably ten years older than he actually is. Mm. He, uh, his fingers and other appendages are elongated and very bony, and he has—he's uh, bald except for a thin curtain of gray hair that extends from the back and sides of his head down towards the neck, and he wears a deep black robe with. Like vibrant purple filigree that kind of goes across the collar at the neck and down the sleeves and again at the cuffs. Nice. After crashing into each other, Safel moves around these men, insisting that he's he's all right, and hurriedly moves down the street, only occasionally glancing back to see if the men remain. Camera view kind of moves upward as we look back down upon the streets and we watch him weave betwixt the buildings and alleys, ducking and darting between them until he reaches the base of a tall hill, atop which sits a large stone building decorated with stained glass windows. He rushes upwards, pulling from his cloak a bound tome, and we see him utter a few words before he reaches the door and silently slips in. Next, we see rows of bookshelves and a dim light coming from between them as a shrouded lantern is held before Safel's face. He moves deftly between the rows of books until he reaches another door. Our view turns upwards and we see restricted carved above it. With a soft jingle of keys, we see Safel enter. And as he shuts the door, his eyes grow wide as he gazes at his prize the rows of books chained to the tables that sit before him, their secret knowledge calling to him. He scurries forward, and we flash to another scene where we see him with two books open in front of him, his eyes glancing back and forth, trying to absorb as much as possible, hands flipping the pages as fast as he possibly can. And the hours pass. We see the sun's first rays starting to reach the top of the windows, Safel quickly looks up, noticing it as it touches the edges of his pages. He rushes to return the books and begins to exit the premises. We see him relock the restricted doorway, hustle down the main hall, dampening his lantern, and we see him finally opening the front door. As he turns back to, re to lock it in place once more, he notices a large shadow fall across him in the door. He goes to turn, reaching for his wand, when another crunch, and his vision fades also.
from your various homes or places of venture, you have found yourselves attacked by a group of dark-clothed individuals. All you remember before quickly following unconscious is piercing red eyes and gray skin that you could see just beyond the edges of their masks. Sometime later, you hear the soft swishing of cloth upon cloth, the occasional skittering of a stone upon the rock, and the echoing of it lasting just a few seconds beyond. As your eyes open and adjust to the deep darkness, you see in shades of gray or in deeper shades of dark, for those of you that don't have dark vision, you see these humanoid forms walking on the ceiling. As your faculties start to come to you more and more, you feel the cold and hard bite of metal around your necks, ankles, and arms. The pull of your clothing on your flesh and the swaying of your body, you, f you realize that you hang upside down on a long pole hefted on the shoulders of two of these dark-swathed creatures. Ahead of you, you hear the muffled talking of more of these creatures, but not enough to make out what is being said. Before you have too long to gather further information of your surroundings, you hear a grunt and a, another muffled voice, mm -hmm. and a figure rushes forward, and one by one, you all feel that hard, shock, sharp hit atop your heads, and you sink back into unconsciousness. At various points, you all reawaken again for small moments to see large, dim, glowing caverns filled with radiant crystals that refract light into amazing colorful spectrums. Low ceiling tunnels where your backs drag across the rough stone, and sometimes you're awoken by the soft brushing of something on your cheek, and you open your eyes to see large mushrooms, tubers, and other weird plants of different sizes, colors, and shapes that surround you and your captors. At other times, you barely awake to hear the whispers and chitterings and deep groans and growls of creatures traveling amongst the stones around you. After a time, your captors leave you be when you resurface to consciousness, and you realize why. You've entered into an enormous cave where the loud rushing sound of water can be heard around, ahead of you. The damp air reaches your nostrils, your eyes adjusting as light for the first time, and who knows how long finally reaches you. You're set down on the ground and released from the pole before being quickly beaten and dragged up to a stand. The sharp crap, crack, <laughs> crack, not crap, of a whip echoes around you, and the loud cry of a voice sounds, MOVE! The tug on your chains draws you forward along a pass that edges a deep chasm that falls hundreds of feet to your left. As you walk forward, you pass a small alcove and see two figures emerge. Tall, gray-skinned, red-eyed, white-haired individuals with long, sharp ears. It is then that you finally realize your situation. You've been captured by the drow. You look back into the cell and you see that you are not alone. You see eight 
huddled forms farther in the darkness. Firstly, you notice a small, smoky, white-bearded, and forked mustache, gray-skinned figure wearing similar rags to your own. His eyes appear almost entirely white, but he looks up at you smiling. He sits squatting, probably about ten feet or so away from you. One of the other figures you notice is a large and hairy, light-blue-furred individual that sits not too far from the first one. Their beast-like form looks exactly like those that you had passed before in the stalactite room. You see a red-haired and dirty female dwarf standing in another corner. She doesn't pay you much mind as she seems to be toying with her chains. A small, purple gnome kneels not too far away from you watching the retreating forms of the drow. A large, hooped earring hangs from his right ear. You watch as he scuttles back and draws forth a pair of stones and tosses them into a circle, smiling with glee at the game he appears to be playing. Another large form stands in the back farthest from you. Large hands raised and come clasped together, and you hear the loud cracking of knuckles. Their face covered in a shaggy beard, long black hair tied into a braid, and two large tusks rise from his lower lip. You see what appears to be a white-haired drow on your right. They don't even look up at you as the door shuts, and you see that they sit there muttering to themselves and scratching their head. You see their face is riddled with red spots. In the middle of the room, you see what appears to be a large, almost lumpish form of some kind of fungus. But it has legs. You see its cap scrunch down before pushing upwards and small jets of what must be spores emerge from it and flitter about the space before disappearing. Next to them sits a plump, pale, violet locatha. Fish person, for those that don't know. (laughs) They sit cross-legged near the middle of the room and appear to be in deep meditation. You hear low humming coming from this cross-legged form. Near what appears to be that that orc that stands in the back, you barely make out the forms of two gnomish figures also bearing that purplish-gray skin that you see of the other one before you. A male and female, they are peering around at the lot of you before ducking their heads back, and you hear their snickering. And they also bear very similar resemblances. As you are kind of getting your bearings, that uh, small, uh, kind of bespeckled figure... uh, looks very almost similar to you, Safel, except they have a longer drooping mustache and they have those those white eyes that come up to you. They they stand about three three and a quarter feet tall. They come up to you and the three of you and they're like Good evening. I'm Bupito. Welcome to Velkenvale. I see you've been dragged down here by our capturer, Mistress Ilvara. Did you have a nice trip? Not at all. It's very brusque. That's very unfortunate. (laughs) Well, uh, let me show you to your cellmates. 
and they they turn. Um, let's see. Uh, Andrew, Brendan, and Sam, you know what? All three of you, give me a nature or arcana check. Whatever you guys are better with here. Okay. Already. Gonna go ahead and drop some arcana. All right. Uh, that is a 15 arcana. Okay. I have a dirty 20 nature. Nice. Fifteen Arcana. Okay. Um, Andrew, you recognize what Bupido is. He is what you have heard of referred to as a Darrow or Dero. They are a deformed, almost sub-race of uh, Duragar or Draugr, or however you say it. How do you how do you pronounce it, Brendan? Uh, I believe it is Durgar. Durgar. Okay. These kind of deep dwarves. They're a, a, a very magically perverted subrace of them. Um, some of your order had done particular dealings with them long in the past, and so you've read a couple records on them. They were twisted for an extremely long period of time by illithids centuries and centuries ago um Mm. and you know they're they're never seen above uh the underdark essentially they're very reclusive kind of secretive people um so pupito kind of starts beginning to lead you around the room and uh he first walks up to that kind of blue furred creature and goes uh, yes, this is your first uh, cellmate here. Come introduce yourself. This large furred creature, they probably stand between seven and eight feet tall. Uh, compared to the ones that you'd seen before, because he also appears to be the same type of creature, he actually walks very upright, one arm held in front of him and one arm crossed behind him. And he goes, hey, yes, good uh, dude to see you all. I'm I'm Prince Derendil. <laughs> you might have heard of me. I, I ruled over the kingdom of Delrindin Vane in the High Forest. <laughs> and don't believe what you see here. I'm and he leans in close to you. I'm actually of the High Elves. I've been cursed horribly by these people. <laughs> but Oh wow, but that's unfortunate. <laughs> it's it's very unfortunate. I desperately wish to be free of these horrible bindings and of this curse. I must return to my people. <sighs> that sounds very important. It is. How did a prince don't... end up here? Well, I was walking amongst the, uh, the forest castle grounds, viewing everything that I owned and could touch. And as I was returning to my, my palace that night, I... Something odd kind of rustled amongst the garden, and I went to uh, investigate, and, well, something bonked me up on the head, and when I awoke, I was here, and in this horrible furred form. Wow! That's like what happened to me, but without the fur. Yes, you consider yourself quite lucky. I'm tied in amongst those gods' awful quagoth in the other, other rooms. Sure, sure. 
And, and, and what are your names? I'm Indigo. Lara, pleasure to meet you, um, your highness. The the whole time he was talking, uh, Safel was kind of looking over him. What's the read I get on this guy? Is he is he bullshitting? Does uh, he seem like a bullshitter? Check. Okay. Make it that inside check. Not good at it, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay. All right. Uh, sixteen. Uh, he appears to be telling you the like God's awful truth. Like you, you, you are listening to what he says, and it's entirely sincere. You, you believe that, like, yeah, this was some kind of high elven prince that got beaten by these drows and somehow has been cursed into this quagoth form. A transformation of this nature is quite disturbing. You may Truth call is. me Sethel, if you, you must Sif- call me anything. Thank you, Sabelle, for understanding my great pain down here. Finally, someone amongst you heathens that gets it. He calls out to the others in the room, and you just hear like a general like, <laughs> like groan because they probably all heard it a dozen times. All these other figures in here, <laughs> and uh, Bupido chimes in. Yes, well, um, let's introduce you to some of the others. And uh, before he even really gets a chance to lead you guys along, that uh, red-haired dwarven figure kind of comes up to you guys, and she she holds out a, a thick and uh, well well calloused hand. She goes, "Eldith Fildren, here at your here at your service." Oh, well, it's nice to meet you. It's a uh, it's wonderful to meet you too. Had to, I, I just heard a little bit of your story. It sounds like you've been. Pretty well bamboozled as well and taken by these god-awful drow. Yeah, I got bonked on the head and um, here I am. One minute you're counting frogs and pond lilies and now this. Mm. Is that intended to be a metaphor or was that actually what you were doing? No, field research. That's how it's done. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, welcome to Velkenven. It's a pretty horrible place. Don't mind too much of the lot in here. We're all appearing to be a little bit crazy. But uh, if you if you're needing a good yeah. shoulder to lean on and show you about the place, I'm happy to help you. Um, that's quite kind of you. Um, may I ask how long has everyone been down here? Oh, jeez, uh, I'm, I'm not in, entirely sure. I've been here probably three weeks or so. It's been a while. I've been... And she kind of grows quiet. I've been trying to find a way out of here. But just, uh... These drow have it pretty well locked down. It seems that you all have the numbers. Has no one tried... a heavy-handed approach? Um... That small purple-skinned gnomish figure with that large hooped earring comes in and he goes, Oh, yeah, of course, some of us have tried. None have made it that far, though. Name's Jim Jar. Pleasure to meet you. It's Laura, isn't it? It's pleasure. It's pleasure. And he comes up and he, like, takes your hand and shakes it. And, uh, you're Indigo, right? I, I have a, I have a good, good thing with names. And he comes up to you. It's a fell pleasure. And he, like, slaps your hand. That's almost like a low five. And he goes, 
Yeah, yeah I know. he pulls his hand backwards. <laughs> like, almost well, I... shakes it like he was insulted to be touched by this thing. <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry, friend, just just trying to be friendly, you know? No need to, to get upset with me. Just, you know, well... You all uh, cellmates around here. It's it's nothing personal. You gotta you gotta loosen up a little bit. No, uh, no. Listen, Lara. See, a lot of people have tried, but they've all been. Uh... And he like does that motion of his thumb drawing across the neck. If you know what I mean. Oh sure, yes. Um, I can see that many here have been. Through hardships, certainly. Perhaps we can assist. Oh, yeah. is, is there anyone here who is um, not part of the team, so to speak? Uh, well, uh, there's Ront back there. He's he's a big burly orc. He, he'll, just between all of us, he'll probably try to shake you down for whatever you might be able to hide, hide from the drow. But uh, don't don't worry about him too much. You give him a good slap, or you you bark right back. He'll back off. He'll back off. Don't you worry about him. Otherwise, now everybody uh, everybody Thank appears you. to be quite quite all right. Uh, though uh, Shusha, and he points to the Lokatha. He's like, uh, if if you need any help doing anything, especially amongst the chores that these drows have you doing around here, uh, yeah, he won't do it. He's he he thinks he's some kind of a awakened sage or something that's gonna help his people. Oh wow, another scholar? What are the chances? Uh, I wouldn't. Well, I I wouldn't really say he's a a scholar. He just he feels like he has some kind of connection to some kind of otherworldly knowledge. But uh, and then wow, uh, you know, over, yeah, it's it's all right. But you know, over there in the corner, and he's pointing to the drow. He goes, "That's uh, that's Sarith. He's uh, he's a bit of a quiet one. He, he, he you know, he, he does what he does. Probably, probably one of the more quieter folks around here. And then you got Topsy and Turvy over there, and he uh, points to the two other gnomes in the far corner that are staring at you guys, but like kind of minding their own business. Um, a little bit, you know, like they turn away and they're they talk to each other and it looks like they start arguing all of a sudden and they, they start like punching and kicking each other and like scrabbling on the floor before like pushing each other away from each other and then huffing and sitting down. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> yeah, uh, Topsy and Turvy, they're uh, they're odd, but they're they're good, uh, good gnomes. And then we got. And then we got, uh, and then you see that weird two-legged mushroom start like waddling amongst you guys, and you see its mushroom cap sink down, and then poof, spores come out, and then all of a sudden, all of you hear inside your head, "Hi, uh, I'm Stool." <laughs> Wow! Oh no! This is amazing! Hello, Stool! I'm Indigo! Hi, Indigo! It's, uh, it's nice to meet you! Man, I sure wish I had my book. I'd love to interview you. You're the first <gasps> fungus I've ever talked to! Uh, well, <laughs> I, I guess you've never really been down here before. Um, 
fungus is a little rude, though. I prefer, um, well, we're usually called myconids. Oh, oh, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's myconid. Of course, I, I, I'm new down here. Uh, also, where's here? Um, well, that's a tough one. Some of the other ones that actually talk to me say that this is someplace called Falconville. I don't really know what that means, though. I'm just trying to get back to the grove. The grove. That sounds great. Oh, it's a, it's it's wonderful. It's where all my friends are, and and we take care of the shrooms there, and all the others and then we kind of have communal nights together and we and we talk with the mother it's it's pretty cool wow i'd love to go there oh well if we ever if we ever get out of here i'll happily show you oh that would be neat at this point so, uh, when do we check out oh someone <laughs> go ahead Sam. <laughs> At this point, I just wanted to say while this is happening, um, when um, uh, Jim Jaw mentioned the orc being potentially aggressive, Lara mm -hmm. is standing in such a way as to keep an eye on the orc, um, but she's still listening mm -hmm. in. So I just wanted to say that, that she's keeping an eye on that. Sure, sure, yeah. No, he uh, he's leaning against one of the back walls, his large arms crossed in front of his, his chest, kind of giving an, an imposing look here. So what are you thinking? Is there anything you guys want to do as you're kind of meeting your, you've now met like pretty much all of your cellmates? Oh, are you already planning for an escape? Yes. I have no intention of staying here longer than I need to. That sounds wonderful. If you wouldn't mind another uh, member of your small merry crew, I... Would like to join in. I think we'll need all the help we can get. I believe Lara had a plan for yeah. how to start planning anyway. Lara, would you like to discuss with Bupido the information that we can gather? Bupido, yes. We'd like to have your help. Um, what do you... You've been taken out of this cell before. Can you draw us what you remember? Perhaps some... Um, where you've turned and how many steps you think it was and um, anything you could tell us about how to get around? I can certainly try my best. And he, uh, like, in the dust, in the dirt of this this cave, he sets about, um, you see, he kind of, like, squats in with, like, using his toes and his fingers. He starts kind of drawing out... Um, he says, from here, there is a turn to the right, and you descend downwards. I don't know what proceeds down those staircases, because, well, we've never been brought down there. Across the bridge leads mm. to a rather nice little room that some of the guards watch us from. It's nothing to... Um, precious. Usually two or three guards sit in there every day watching us. 
They keep a small amount of equipment nearby. They don't seem to pay us too much mind, though. Sometimes they have How us often do clean you get... the post. Hmm. How often do you get assigned there? Is it common? It's common enough that we either pass through there for other chores or we're dragged there to do different tasks. Some days we empty the chamber pots. Some days we bring them water barrels from the falls. It's really no matter. There's usually one crew that is brought out every day or so. Every number of hours when the drow get bored. Lara, would you mind if I asked a question? No, please. To your knowledge, Bupido, are there any patterns of which they take prisoners or consistent tasks that they give to the same people? Not necessarily. Any way that they can make the tasks more difficult or cruel for their own entertainment, they'll do it. In fact, I would say some time ago, not really well kept around here, if you may have noticed. They had the twins there in the back try to move a number of large water barrels to Mistress Ilvara's rooms, I believe it was. And they just kept adding stones atop the barrels. They didn't allow them to remove them and whipped them to make them move it. So no, no patterns other than unmatched cruelty. Well, I think we need to get out of here. This this is not great. It most mm. certainly isn't. Uh, can I go over and take a look at what kind of, like, lock is on the door? Um, or yeah, like how absolutely. the door opens? Mm-hmm. Um, so you go over and you're taking a look at it. Um, so you go over to investigate the door. You see that it is a large barred wall with a smaller gate or door kind of inset within it. Um, you see what looks like, um, a pretty decent lock sitting in there. Um, you, you're actually pretty good with thieves tools. If I remember from, from building your character, right? Yep. Uh, make me a, um, mm, that's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, tricky one, tricky one. Uh, I would say some kind of do either a dexterity check or an intelligence check for me. Just straight up those. Alright, and that will be a dexterity. Uh, and that is a four. Okay. Yeah, you think this is a pretty complicated lock? Uh, you've definitely never picked something of its caliber before. Uh, Indigo would kind of like clock that and come back over. I mean, ideally we could you know, steal a few things if we got to go out on chores. We just have to be careful not to get caught. Um, a key would really be kind of the best thing, but perhaps those guards that, that um, might be watch a high risk. 
Yeah, perhaps those guards have keys, Bapito. Have you seen keys on those guards? I have noticed that a, a large amount of them do carry keys. They do all swap duties as guards, so I would assume they all have the means of entering our cells. Bupido, I have unfortunately noticed a lacking of my magical abilities, which is most of my usefulness. Uh, Have you or anyone in here experienced a similar phenomenon? And do you know if it is localized or if there is some source that may be meddled with? I'm afraid I don't know anything about a source, but we have noticed that there appears to be some type of anti-magic field or something presiding well over this cell. I will warn you, though, if you do try outside the cell and you are caught, they will punish you quite severely if you are caught. There was another fellow here who fancied himself able to escape rather quickly on his own with magic. He went out during one of our chores and found himself fed to the spiders. Hmm. But, to your knowledge, this is localized to the cell, then, and not the entirety of the prison. He starts nodding. Yes, as far as I can tell, it is just within the cell, for this is the largest amount of time that we can go unclosely observed. Hmm. Then perhaps... The main leg of our escape must be done without our abilities. However, if we manage the feat of all getting out of this cell, it would be quite useful to have all of our tools to use. My best advice is to keep an eye out should you be taken on chores. There are a few barracks and what appeared to be even an armory, which I was not brought into for a chore. They could be stored any belongings there, or they might be kept more closely with Mistress Ilbara herself. Um, <clears throat> don't take this the wrong way, Safel, but with your looks perhaps they would trust you the most on certain jobs um you just seem to be a little bit um more wise um and um you, you know just different looking old. than uh, yes <laughs> old <laughs> you're old as fuck you man. are <laughs> you are referring to these Hella crow's feet. <laughs> Jim Jarry yells from across the cell. That bitch old. <laughs> I I, 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 I mean yeah, I mean no disrespect, of course. There is none taken. I'm very well accustomed to my physical state. But if the theme is unmatched cruelty, 
I doubt I will be given mm. preference. I will most likely be given tasks that will push my physical abilities far beyond my corporeal capabilities. And can I actually have you all over the course of these next couple of days and you guys are kind of just trying to gather your wits about your surroundings, go ahead and roll me d20s, no bonuses, just straight d20s. I don't know if it's important, but I I rolled a natural 20. Okay. 19, nat 20. I don't know if that's helpful at all in this particular case, but it did happen. Hey, that's over 10. Andrew, what you got there? <laughs> Progress. Uh, 12. You. Ooh, okay. All right. So, Indigo, as you had a little bit of time in the cell before you were brought out over uh, a course of what you would assume to be days because the hours are long and you guys are just you figure you'll you'll gra- gather some information it's clear that things are kind of tight here you found you found the the first oh, jesus i can't talk all of a sudden the first thing that you found was a uh, a flawed carnelian gemstone that you would guess is worth a little bit of money nice um the second thing you find while you were performing another uh, couple of chores is you actually find uh, a gold coin, luckily enough. Nice. Lara, on one particularly brutal day, as you were hauling water barrels back and forth to all the different barracks and stalactites and rooms here, um, because Jim Jar was on duty with you and he got caught trying to sip some water. You guys were pushed to the limit for hours uh, carrying this stuff. You um, you actually found, luckily enough, on your way back, a rusted iron bar that you could potentially use as a club. And you were able to uh, get it back into your cell. Sifel, on another one of your days out, you were led to one of the, uh, you find out that there are two barracks, one that you had done the laundry in, and there was another one next to it. As you were cleaning in there, you actually found a flint shard that's roughly about the size of a dagger. Okay. So, over... This large length of time that you guys have been here, you've uh, rested when you can, you've been doing more chores, you've been pushed to these kind of awful, uh, awful jobs and limits. You've noticed that Raunt uh, pretty consistently tries to um, bully just about everybody. The other things you notice that he particularly hates Eldith that redheaded dwarf and that he also seems to him and Darendil, that elven quagoth figure uh also tend to avoid each other because you can see that there is some kind of beef between the two of them and like they're both on the like the edge of uh full-on fighting each other 
but you hmm. you notice that he's not if he does have anything he must keep it uh, immediately on his person um the other thing you've noticed over the this period of time is that he's not he's not very sneaky he uh for lack of a better word he's pretty fucking dumb you know mm-hmm. he uh you walk you watch him one time try to like pick up a rock but the rock was the size of like his head and the drow like beat the fucking shit out of him because he thought he was going to be able to like get away with that rock so mm-hmm. you think if he has anything it's probably not worth anything um so yeah okay cool I think we need to make an important decision, which is when we get out of this cell, which will be soon, who out of these people do we think is worth it to take with us, and who do we think is best to leave behind? Oh, I mean, it'd be nice if everyone could come. It'd be more fun that way. All right, Lara, who do you think would be best to take <laughs> with us? <laughs> in, in this moment, I am loath to lead anyone behind in the cell, and I'm going to have to agree with Indigo on this one. Nice. Safel <laughs> just starts to think to himself then. He's sort of like like uh, dodgeball coach just looking at everybody like <laughs> eyes glazing over every single person for a couple seconds and is starting to calculate uh, probabilities is that something... of survival depending on who comes with is that something you really want to do because I'll make you roll on it if you want no no I'm not like I'm not trying to judge each one's character like mechanically Safel mm-hmm. um, is just very antsy about the idea of all of these people staging a successful prison break mm-hmm. and is just starting the process of of analyzing options. Yeah. I think I think where um where okay. I'm at, Safal, is that we perhaps all we need to do is help them leave the cell. And then we, you know, they go their way and are a potential <clears throat> distraction and we've done our part to help them get free then we are of similar mind I did not mean necessarily leave people locked in the cell I just meant who comes further with us and who goes their own way yes, I, um can I, think... I come with you is that stool? Yes. <laughs> you look at the and you see stool, stool just like sitting there squirting his little spores, and he's like, uh, "Can I come? I don't. I don't really want to stay here." Of course. I'm not How, going also, to we're lie. gonna get to the grove. I I kind of thought he was a coffee table. I thought it was a new installation. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Rob tries to sit on me often. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm. Look, I, I, Safel, I do want to have the best um, chance here, and uh, Lara will start to whisper. <laughs> I, I, I worry that stool isn't um, the the defense um, offense that we need. <clears throat> wow, that was rude. I'm sorry, I don't seem physically capable. And he actually just like waddles away, 
And here's the here's the oh, thing you've no, noticed. Stop. He doesn't have a mouth. You've you're like you hear it in your head, his voice. So yeah, clearly this has all been telepathic. Kind of... He can probably read thoughts. <laughs> yeah, so he's just like, Oh, I'm I'm sorry. And he just like waddles away. Uh. <laughs> uh, for the best. You just told the three year old kid that he sucks. Congratulations. Savelle started it. Way to go. Like... Way to kick him <laughs> Way to kick him while he's down. It's like no Timmy. No, Timmy, your drawing is garbage. It's not going to end up on the fridge. Fuck of course, off. of course, right, child, here's, here's we're going to leave you with the people that um, will obviously stool? kill you. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, I just think <clears throat> stool can come if he, if, if they, it can keep up. That you have to keep up. <laughs> you see, you hear the little. I also. A stool comes back. Yeah, I can keep up. I can show you it in the really grove. I promise. Please take me with you. I'll be helpful in every way See, I possibly how, can. Look how fast they are. Look, look at me go. Congratulations, we've adopted more. <laughs> he starts running and he trips over a fucking rock and he's like, can someone pick me up, please? Can can someone? He's not coming. It's okay. He's and not. You see it, pick, I, I will pick him up. <laughs> okay, you go Indigo. over and pick him up. And he's like, thanks, Indigo. I appreciate that. Indigo, he's your We're responsibility. Going to die in the cell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, You're my so best. So my my Indigo. thought because Cephal <laughs> Cephal is getting anxious and um, is trying to get analytical and is just impatient. Mm -hmm. So my first thought is, well, um. I guess, Lara, did you communicate that the read that you got on Rant when you were kind of checking him out? Yeah, I think that was a group check. Was that right? I don't, I don't remember if it was me or not. But I would have shared everything that I knew. Uh, oh, it was you guys were talking about the insight when you guys were looking at him. The, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I would share everything. Yeah, you yes. honestly after I would say after looking at all these people here after the like the past couple of days and talking with a few of them your loosest cannons that you can reckon is probably Ront and Darren Dill. And you guys are talking about this and like Stool's actually super forthcoming because out of all the prisoners here he's the only one they don't make do tasks because there's fucking nothing that he can do. Like, he doesn't have arms. Um, wh why do they have him? Like, Do you ask? What use is he? You can ask. I mean, I definitely think it. I definitely <laughs> think it. And I'm pretty sure he can... That That's just as as relevant as asking with him. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're like, getting all tactical and stuff, and Stool's like, yeah, so your biggest loose cans and can uh uh, uh canon here is is Ront and um oh oh you know I I just kind of got swept up with a, a, a band of them they just kind of like picked me up and were like we're gonna chop them into furniture ah hate micanoids <laughs> and then I started talking in their minds and they just kind of threw me in here. And from when I'm here, uh, hearing they they they're they're just waiting on a a transport from uh, 
Menzo Zabarin to to come here and take us so that we can be slaves or sacrifices in the big city. Well, we need to leave before that happens. Yeah, probably. I would say we should leave tonight. If we they leave, would we are prepared. burn me. You or don't want them to burn me, Indigo. <laughs> I just did it in a weird voice. Of, of course not. You're my best friend. I'm going to protect you. All right. So let's get out of here today. All we got to <laughs> do is get through this lock. And we're on it. We may not need to. Who is out of hopefully just present company? Who would be the most charismatic and instigative? Um... <clears throat> If you need me to uh, start a commotion and get the guard's attention, I could do that. I don't even believe you would need to. You just simply need to push Ront and Derendel in the proper direction. And mm. they will do it for us. Ah, that's a good idea. Um, <clears throat> to be clear, Derendel is the prince, yes? Yeah, the the elven prince that says he was polymorphed into a quagoth. Yes. Okay. Yeah, high elf cursed into quagoth form. Uh so yeah. And from your insight check it seems like they have some beef. beef yeah. And they're right on that precipice of of okay. starting a fight anyway. So I'm thinking they they just like need that. a nudge in that direction. Okay, I will, <clears throat> I think this is a great idea, and I will stand closer to Darendil, and when, perhaps when we're ready, you can just give me a, a nod, and I will know to um, mm -hmm. give a um, shove into Ron. Maybe not a physical shove, mm -hmm. Um Perhaps a I was trick. thinking perhaps of Subtle. the. I would. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of gossip, so that his anger is properly directed, and he does not swing mm. at you. Perhaps simply planting in his mind that something was said of him, that was less than favorable. Now that I can do, this is why you're the smart one, Safel. You old Once man. Once that is done, we assume. Yeah. We assume that guards will, or at least a guard, will charge the room to break up the fight. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. If all guards have keys, mm -hmm. who amongst, perhaps not us, but company we think is worth taking, might be able to subdue a guard or sweep the keys? DM, have we got a feel that any of the the NPCs that we've sort of been leaning into have a more uh, dexterous, thiefy manner. I know we've been talking a lot to Bupito. What is yeah. he mm -hmm. sort of? What's like his gym jar? His skill set. Um, yeah. Out of the people that you've most talked to, which would be Bupito, Jim Jar, you've talked a little bit to Darendel, you talked a little bit to Eldith. Um, 
you still haven't really talked to those two gnome twins. Um, Shushar, you've talked to a little bit, but you... Topsy and Turvy. Yep. Um, Shushar is a fat, happy Koatoa. You know, in your talks, you, you clearly learned that he's a pacifist and, you know, doesn't really have any desires to escape. Out of uh, all the people here that you've seen, you would think Jim Jar, the two twins, and a little bit of Boopedo, but more so Jim Jar and the twins seem to be the most kind of uh, dexterous of the group. They seem to get around pretty easily. Um, the only thing you, that you notice <laughs> is that Jim Jar has this particular inclination to want to try and bet on everything. And, like, as you guys have got to know him, like, you guys have gone out on a couple of cleaning jobs or, like, moving stuff or, like, whatever. And the whole time he's like, oh, yeah, I bet I could, uh, I bet I could move, um, no, I don't know, five more rocks in you. I'll bet you gold on it. And you're like, what the fuck, Jim Jar? Like, I don't even have gold. And you see he, like, dips into, like, one of the folds of his cloth and he pulls out, like, five gold coins. And he's just like, well, I got the gold. Next time you find one, it's coming to me, though. All right? All right? I'll bet you. And he does it with everyone. It's just unstoppable. He wants to do anything. He's like, you guys are sitting in the cell. He's like, hey, hey, you want to flick some stones? If you land on this particular side, I'll let you win all of my stones. How about that? How about that? And uh, everybody kind of hates him for it. But the, the <laughs> quietest and the most stealthy that you would think would probably be Topsy and Turvy. That is actually a habit of Jim Jar that Safel believes might actually be manipulable. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, I'd be happy to wager a gold coin. He can't take a, a key off a guard. Oh. My thoughts exactly. Oh, I love fuck. that. We, uh. So we thinking that we. Right. Yeah. So, no, go ahead, Safel. Yeah, Safel so, will kind of continue the plan. Like, I imagine it's, like, full prison break movie. Like, he's seeing it in real time going down. <laughs> like, Lara will... Lara, we we flash the camera zooms as Lara walks over to Darendel and whispers something in his ear. Darendel stands up all, all fucking pissy, walks over to Ron and just socks him right across the jaw. They start fighting. Drow <laughs> guards, or however many guards, come in. While uh, Indigo sort of uh, slips a a gold coin out of his pocket and just flashes it really quick to show uh, Jim Jar and sort of nods in the direction of the guard while Jim Jar comes up behind, swipes the key as the guards are sort of pushing Rant and uh, Darendel away from each other. And as the guards leave, we... Uh, we move to our next steps. That's all I have for right now. But <laughs> I think I think that's I think it's a yeah. solid start. The plans come okay. together. Okay. Okay. Ro- role playing twenty intelligence. It's hard, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, you when do you guys want to enact this plan? At at this point, once it has been all planned out, I imagine Indigo goes over and is like whispering to Jim Jar. Lara is stationed over by Darendel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Safel will just kind of be sitting 
against uh, a wall. Let's say this wall. Yeah, go here, ahead and move yourselves around the map. Near. A bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I don't want to be suspiciously near the door. Mm-hmm. Like, That's I don't want to seem like I am waiting for the door to open, but I'm just going to be at this wall next to the drow, seeming like I'm... I want to make it look like I'm just hopelessly getting him, trying to get him to talk to me. Sure. Um, yeah. And um, I will... Lara will this wait. this is cool, because I can kind of see everybody. Perfect. Yeah, Lara's going to wait for... Um, she's going to just kind of lean against the wall next to Darendel and wait for, like, a nod from Indigo indicating that Jim Jaw has accepted mm-hmm. the deal and then she's going to start her part. Okay. All right, Indigo. So you, uh, you approach Jim Jar. You can see he's playing a, a game of skipping stones in a small circle on his own. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Jim Jar, you want to play a more interesting game? Oh yeah. What, uh, what you got? What you got in mind? Yeah. What, what, what you got in mind? Hmm? Uh, uh, like I, I'm gonna have the coin like palm, then I like flash it to him. Bet you Ooh. can't steal guard's key. Oh, I see. That's uh, it's pretty tricky right there. Yeah, it's pretty tricky right there. In a go. Oh, all right, all right. You trying to you trying to get a little prison break going on here? Yeah, no, no, no. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Listen here, in a go. Yeah. What you gonna do when I get this key? Hmm. Do we all get out of this? Because that's a lot of work and a lot of risk on my part. Oh, Jim Jar, we're all getting out of here. <laughs> are you lying to him or are you, are you like, dead serious? Uh, it, Indigo actually thinks that everyone's getting out of here. Okay, all right. Yeah, he, he, he like, looks at you, his eyes grow a little bit wide as he's like, oh, shit. You're serious, kid. All right. Okay. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. You got, uh, shit. How are we going to get in position for me to get a key? That's the thing. I kind of, I might need some kind of distraction, though. Oh, don't worry. It's taken care of. And I'll slowly turn around to Lara and give her a nod. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, Lara um, sees the nod, and she's gonna give a like a nod back, like a, a little like chin dip, uh, and then she will turn to um, Prince Darendel and um, <clears throat> my liege, um, Prince Darendel. Hey, yes, my lady, how may I help you? I have um, the not the best of news, unfortunately. Um, it seems oh, that there no. is a coup. I know. There it seems that there is a coup being staged. Um and I it has taken me some time to figure out who is the leader of the efforts, but it seems that Ront believes himself to be the true leader of your people, and he's been telling everyone that you're a fraud. Um and it, it seems like the people are on his side. Whoa. You just see Darren lose his fucking mind. You see, like, his eyes instantly grow bloodshot. His mouth just starts foaming. He instantly just, like, turns into this full Quagoth beast. And he's just like, I hate you. 
and he just like charges on all fours across this room, slams into Ron, and they go, go crashing into the wall. And this shit gets wild far more than you probably thought it would. Darren Dill is like biting into Ron's neck. Ron is confused as fuck, but instantly just starts punching Darendel in the ribs. You actually hear, like, breaking, and Darendel just, like, rips a huge chunk out of Ron's neck, and they are just hacking at each other. Ron takes Darendel, rips him off of his chest, slams him into the wall, and he's, like, beating him again and again and again. Darendel gets his back legs up in between them and just, like, starts doing that cat thing with their back legs and just starts raking into Ron's stomach. And you can see it's just tearing flesh. It's fucking awful. On top of so that... is gonna run to the, to the barred door and be like, Gods! Gods, please! They're going to kill each other! They're going to kill us all! Please! <laughs> uh, you actually hear like a commotion coming from the guard tower and you actually hear a horn and another one a little ways away being sounded and you just hear like you can hear the creaking of the bridges and these people are are you see the drow they're running a ton of them are coming in the meantime you see like ront's nose has been fucking like bitten in half darendil one of his ears has been ripped off oh and like you can see that one of his arms is broken but he's just like biting into uh ront's thighs <laughs> And Ron, it like a couple of his tusks are actually like broken off, and you can see he like grabs one from the floor and is stabbing Darendil with it. It's bloody. You see Bupedo in like Jim Jar, like, and everybody was initially in shock. You actually see Bupedo in like Jim Jar, like egging them on, like, yeah, get him, get the. Uh, get that son of a bitch! You got him! You got him! Bupito's like, yes! Kill him! Blood! Let the blood flow! You see Stool running around his two little legs, and he's like, Oh my god! No! Help! And he's just, his two little legs running super fast and stubby. You see, uh, Sarith actually get up, who is beside Yusufel, and he just, like, crosses his arms, leans back against the wall, and he starts shaking his head like, oh, god. You see, uh, Eldith actually, like, try- looks like she's trying to intervene, but you see that Ront actually tries to take a couple swings at her with his tusk. And then finally, you see, uh, actually, Topsy and Turvy, they're trying to stay out of it. They're trying to, like, get away as far as possible from those two. And then finally, the guards arrive at the door. You see that there's at least seven guards, and you hear, like, as you hear the heavy padding of quaggoths coming up as well. And you see that four of them join these seven here at the door. And they all have drawn their short swords. A couple of them have crossbows out. And they uh, unlock the door. And they kind of come in in a formation. Their swords pointed out at all of you. And kind of form what almost looks like a hedgehog. And they, uh, you see one of them. And it's actually one of the, uh, 
the heads of command. You see that very young, uh, proudful-looking drow that you came to learn was sure. Uh, he actually barks. He's like, uh, restrain those two now! And you see the Quaggoth charge forward and they rip apart Ront and Darendil. Um, Jimjar, seeing his time, looks at you Indigo, gives a wink, and he's like, I got this. And let's see. Okay. Uh-oh. Oh, cock die. I don't know. Uh, Jimjar looks at you, gives you a wink. He's like, I got this. My time's shot. And he starts making his way towards the drow. You see a lot of them are facing towards the commotion. You see the Quagroth are pretty quickly wrestling apart both Ront and Darendil. And you watch as Jimjar actually gets up behind Shore, the captain of these these drow here in this outpost. And he actually goes and he manages to get the key. You watch it happen. And as he starts to like back away, you watch as Shore whips around and with his short sword actually cuts off Jimjar's hands and then grabs him by the throat and picks him up and he's like, I felt you grabbing for my keys. You think you're a swift thief. Your time has come. The three of you have earned your just reward. And the Quagoth start dragging Ront, Darendil, and Shore, still holding Jimjar by the throat. He's clutching his wounded arm. The hand still on the ground with the key. You see one of the other drow pick it up. And they drag all three of them out. The rest of them, crossbows trained and swords out at all of you. They close the gate and they walk those three up to the edges and he sure turns back to all of you. You're, I am like Topsy and Turvy are at the uh, front of the bars. They're like pressing their faces through. You see Stool up to the front. And he's like, "Oh no! Oh no! This is awful! This is awful! I don't know what's happening." You see, uh, Eldith is like, "Oh my! This is, this is just awful." And Shore turns to you all and he says. Let this be a reminder that any untowards actions such as this ruining yourselves so that you might not be served for a greater purpose in the great webbed city, you will be punished. For the severity of their crimes, escape dismembering and uh, untimely unrest. It's feeding time. And he holds Jimjar off over the ledge and lets go of him. And you see him fall just... (gasps) And you actually see this large shadowy form drop from the ceiling behind the ledge just... And you see that there's a silver strand that comes down from the ceiling. You see it was loose, almost like a coil uh, going. And then it goes taunt. 
and a moment later, you see this giant spider coming up. Jim Jar in its talons and starts spinning him up into a web and then spits him back out. Shore turns to both Raunt and Darendil goes, Toss them. She hasn't eaten in a while. And the drow and the quagoth throw I them off the edge. Responsible. And the giant spider descends <laughs> to wrap them up in that... its arches. Almost, <laughs> and that's where we'll leave it this week. That—that's that, not exactly how I pictured it going. Almost went to plan. <laughs> well, hey there, new listener of the Madness Table. Thanks so much for checking out episode one. Uh, we are just having a blast making the podcast. Um, as I record this, we are well into the 50s in terms of episode numbers. It's been such a journey so far. So we hope you consider listening. We've come a long way since episode one. Um, so please join us as we make our way through the Underdark. If you're loving the content, um, please consider giving a five-star review. And whatever podcatcher you're currently listening, it helps us grow, helps us get new listeners, helps us spread the word about the podcast. Um, you can find all of our social media and Discord links at linktree.com slash table. That's where we'll be posting all of our um, episode drops, notifications, our bonus content when it comes out, and any other fun stuff that we want to post about. But yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for giving us a try. And we'll see you next time when the madness. <laughs>